You're listening to the Afternoon Asks ND Squad, ND for Neurodivergent, with Sarah, Jay and Fran. Jay is Canadian, bringing up her ND family in Australia and is late diagnosed autistic. Fran hails from Germany and is ADHD autistic. Sarah is British Chinese and part of a mixed NTND family. Standing up for representation, breaking down stereotypes and challenging ableist perceptions, we're here to discuss all kinds of neurodivergencies in Asian dramas with a dose of scientific research and our own lived experience sprinkled on top. Hope you enjoy! Hi everyone! Hi everyone! Hi everyone! <laughs> Today, we're very excited because we've got Jay back with us after we had to do an episode without her last time, just me and Fran. So good to have you back with us, Jay. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so today we're going to talk about two autistic coded characters in two different KBLs. And if you aren't familiar with the term BL, it stands for boys love, which is basically just a drama with uh, where kind of like romantic leads are both male. Uh, for this episode, we'll be discussing Chu Sangu from Semantic Error and Wu Tae-kyung from Light on Me, who are both regularly mentioned when it comes to autistic coded characters in K-dramas. Now, these two dramas we're discussing today created a bit of buzz when they were released. And, and all they, they make the use of some predictable tropes like enemies to lovers and high school coming of age. They are notable for their writing and production and for the reception they received among BL fans. I actually personally don't watch a lot of BL or high school dramas, but I got enough FOMO because of all this buzz about both of these dramas, I had to watch them. So Jay, are you able to tell us a bit more about the BL background? Sure, absolutely. Um, The Korean BL live action industry is actually pretty new compared to the more established ones in countries like Thailand and Taiwan. Uh, When I started watching Korean BLs back in 2020, it seemed like there were very few series out there and the production value really wasn't as good. Um, As you can see, they were just starting out. And they were almost testing to see if there was a market for what they had to offer. Like I recall some early episodes being perhaps seven or eight minutes long, maybe eight episodes at most. And they've grown so much in the past few years and the quality has improved tremendously. Um, For example, Eighth Wave, which was released this year, reminded me of a really stylistic and well-written kind of artsy movie. And even the actors the new dramas are attracting are more recognizable names. So Semantic Error is an example of this with idols Park Shoham and Park Jae-chan in the lead roles. And similar to the way we talked about with our last episode about the stigma around mental health and even autism in a conservative country like South Korea, we also have some similar relevant issues with regards to sexuality and gender there as well. There's been the most recent election of a political party there that is more aligned with what are seen as more traditional and conservative values. And if you follow what's happening with the LGBTIQA plus community, you know that it's not a particularly favorable environment for queer people. There's no protection against discrimination based on sexuality or gender identity under national law. Same-sex marriage and civil unions are illegal. Same-sex couples cannot jointly adopt children. Um, The 2019 Franklin and Marshall Global Barometer of Gay Rights gave South Korea an F, one of only three of the world's 38 OECD nations to receive that score. A score of F means that countries are actively, actively persecuting queer citizens. So this seems to be supported by what many have said in terms of needing to remain closeted at schools, unis, workplaces, and about bullying and harassment and about the toll this takes on the mental health 
of LGBTQIA plus community members. K-pop artist Holland, who is openly gay and starred in the BL drama Ocean Likes Me in 2022, was attacked and assaulted in a hate crime in Itaewon in May of 2022. The Seoul Metropolitan Government turned down the application by the Seoul Queer Culture Festival to use Seoul Plaza to hold a parade on July 1st, giving permission to a Christian group for a concert instead. And even though both applied on the same day and pride parades have been held every year since 2015, except for a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. And in June of this year, the mayor of Daegu, every time I read, every time I think of Daegu, I think of Yungi, sorry. <laughs> yes, me too. <laughs> the mayor of Daegu squared off with the police when city officials protested the legal and lawful use of a festival site by the Daegu Queer Culture Festival. Injunctions to stop the parade backed by the mayor, failed, and city workers who showed up to protest and disrupt the event were hindered by police, much to the anger of the mayor. Wow, thank you, Jay, for this. It seems like a bit of a heavy way to introduce those two rather light KBLs, but I think it's really important to provide some context about the South Korean society around which these dramas are being written and produced. And while we can debate about whether being a consumer of BL productions given their usual intended audience of cisgender heterosexual women, actually does anything meaningful to help queer communities in Korea. There has been an acknowledgement by people living there that being seen and maybe generating that awareness is a slow road to tolerance and acceptance. Trans activist June Green from Seoul said in an NBC interview back in November 2022, there are new queer shows and there are more and more people coming to the street for pride. We couldn't have even imagined that five years ago. It's really sensational. So there were even a few Korean queer reality shows last year. Mary Queer was the first LGBTIQ plus reality series in Korea and featured couple Kim Min-yoon and Park Busung, who have 2.36 million subscribers on their Busung Jung YouTube channel. Sorry if I completely butcher these things. <laughs> there was also His Man, a reality dating show for gay men, which just finished its second season and has been picked up for season three. And there's more content, both BLs and reality shows, than even a few years ago. So this is a start of just getting some kind of visibility and representation, even if it's not entirely unproblematic. However, unpacking all of the complicated issues related to the BL industry and the relationship to actual real-life queer communities requires much more time than we have today. So... It's just something to keep in mind as we discuss the portrayals of the characters in these series in comparison with what life may actually be like for LGBTQA plus people in South Korea. Thanks for that, guys. Um, I think it's really important, as you say, to look into some of that history because actually there is also a connection, a very specific and solid connection between autism, autistic people and LGBTIQA+. So um, would you guys be able to step expand a little bit more for the audience in case those aren't aware? Sure, I'd love to. Like, I guess I can start with researchers demonstrated that there is a strong overlap between being autistic and identifying as somewhere on the LGBTIQA plus spectrum. 
So there are numerous published studies and surveys undertaken by autistic researchers and organizations that indicate that autistic people are significantly more likely to fall somewhere on the spectrum than neurotypical people. Uh, We're in et al. is a paper from 2021 that found that autistic people tended to identify with a wider range of sexual identities, including asexual, than neurotypical population. And a study by George in 2018 found that in the autistic group evaluated, 69.7% reported being non-heterosexual compared to 30.3% in the control group. This has also been my experience with two online polls for autistic people on social media over the past few years with results coming in about a 70-30 split for non-cisgender um, heterosexual to cisgender heterosexual. Uh, a paper from 2020 that analyzed data sets from some 641,000 individuals and found that transgender and gender diverse people were 3.3 to 6.36 times as likely to be autistic than um, cisgender individuals. So I could go on and on listing study after study. This would obviously eat up all of our drama chatting time, but I just wanted to say that autistic people are more likely to be queer or transgender. And this poses some challenges in terms of multifactorial minority stress and its impact on mental health, navigating communities and belonging, and also service provision, among many, many other things. For the podcast today, we'll be discussing the complicated journey these two main characters end up on while discovering who they are and while falling in love. So in the case of Light on Me especially, we'll be talking about how that particular love triangle resolves. And if you haven't seen the drama, stop listening, go watch it and come <laughs> back and join us. You'll enjoy it and you can listen to our discussion knowing that you won't have to contend with spoilers for the ending. So be advised, we'll, we will be discussing how that drama and semantic error both end. Okay, first off, let's introduce the dramas to set the scene. Gonna start with Light on Me, which was a 2021 drama written by E. Jium and directed by E. Yo John. It's based on the mobile game Sebit Boys High School Council. Woo Taekyung is an introverted student who attends this high school. He tends to keep to himself and doesn't really have any friends. His teacher, however, encourages him to step out of his comfort zone and to try make friends by joining the student council. Taekyung agrees and he soon realizes that it will be a bit trickier than he thought, obviously. Uh, make, making friends is not, a, not an easy thing. Um, but he meets three new people, the council president, uh, Shin Daon, who's uh, popular, kind, welcomes him right away. Nam Gong, uh, who's kind of like the funny, friendly and exuberant head of volunteer work. And a kind of standoffish vice president, No Shinu, whom Taekyung had accidentally embarrassed during their first encounter with each other. The story basically develops around Taekyung integrating into the student council and trying to make friends. He struggles to try and get Shinu's approval and friendship, while at the same time there seems to be like a mutual attraction developing between him and Daon. And as the story develops, it turns out that Shinu doesn't actually dislike him, but has a crush on him and was just too embarrassed about their first encounter. And um, Daon, who initially was just being kind to him because he's, he is kind to everyone, 
he starts developing feelings for Taekyung and is confronted with this realization about his own sexuality and the problems being gay might bring uh, with his position as like a public figure in the school. So in the end, we kind of like get a love triangle between those three characters where they have to navigate school bullying, intolerance, as well as parental expectations, a lack of family support, with a lot of personal growth for each of them. It was a well-received um, BL by reviewers and fans for having been well-written and having fully developed characters, which doesn't always happen in KBLs and, I guess, in dramas in general. But, um, yeah. Um, the ending was a bit rushed, but I guess, you know, like, um, there's always something to improve. But it was a treat to watch those characters develop over 16 episodes, even if each episode was just around 20 to 30 minutes. So, Semantic Error. Semantic Error has actually been covered in a deep dive by uh, our sister pod, Afternoon Delight. So, if you've seen this drama and, and haven't listened, do go back and check that episode out. But the TLDR is that they all absolutely loved it. Semantic Error was a 2022 drama by writer Jason and directed by Kim So Jong. It's based on a webtoon of the same name. The leads, Pak Se Hum and Pak Jae Chan, won. APAN Star Awards and Blue Dragon Series Awards, Jay Chan also won a gold, Grand Bell Award for New Wave Actor. So they play Chu Sang-woo is a computer programming student who is brilliant, yet regimented and principled and seen as antisocial and strange by his peers. As a result of his decision to remove fellow students from a group project who did not contribute to the final result, and to name them publicly, he comes into conflict with Zhang Jiayong. Zhang Jiayong himself is a popular and talented senior visual arts student, and he can't graduate from university as planned because of this decision. Jiayong vows to get revenge on the student who derailed his graduation, and after the two meet, he begins to torment Sang Wu with petty pranks and attempts to annoy him endlessly. After the two are forced to work together on a presentation, Jae-yong saves Sang-ru from a potentially unpleasant incident with a drunken and aggressive mentor at a bar, and the two have to work through their complicated and changing feelings for each other, which in Sang-ru's case seem to vacillate in his confusion between friendly and an all-out panic fueled animosity. Eventually, the two work on creating a joint video game, and Sang-ru accepts his feelings for Jae-yong and returns his affection. Cool. Right. So that is uh, the intro to the dramas. Let's deep dive them from an autistic coded point of view. So first of all, did you find them both autistic coded from the get go? What stuck out for you? What were the things you noticed? Was one portrayal better than the other? Both I found quite similar in many ways, but they're also quite different autistic people too. So can you say something more about this? So Fran, do you want to kick us off? Yes, sure. Um, let's start with uh, Semantic Error, which is the first one of the two I watched. And to me, it was very obvious that uh, sang was autistic. We get uh, straight from the start, we kind of like see that he's got like a routine, that he wants things done in a certain way. He, We kind of like get these scenes where he keeps looking at his watch and there is like um, a certain time 
um, in the screen and we get a smile from him and we kind of like get the impression that he's got like a very, his, his day is very scheduled and he was on time to do certain things. And those things are not just going to lectures and seminars. They are things like going to the vending machine to get uh, an iced coffee and like smaller things like that. Um, he seems to be like sitting in like a specific spot. Uh, we get things like um, very orderly placement of um, his computer and his pens on his desks and things like that. So um, while obviously those are not, you know, like those don't make you an autistic person, but um, they are kind of like contributed to the whole image. I also like I have to we have to start off with, I guess, the plot point that kind of starts us all off which is the daubing in of the freeloading students and um yeah so i just wanted to point out that i actually did this in university as well <laughs> um i didn't i didn't publicly name and shame anybody but i mean i've i've been in group work before where um you know i've been in a group of like you know five or six people and you know a couple of them aren't carrying their weight and so I've gone up to the professor afterwards and said, look, like, you know, this group project that the rest of us put in the hard yards on and worked for weeks and weeks on. And these other two people just kind of showed up in the last 30 minutes and asked what they could read. So I'm just letting you know ahead of time that this is what these people did. So, I mean, I've done the exact same thing where I've kind of like really taken um, offense at somebody who I felt wasn't pulling their weight in group work. And so, I mean, I could I could see myself in that moment when he was doing that. So. Um, yeah, I'm the same. I would totally do the exact same. And I probably have not the exact same situation, but I would totally do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess also, like, I mean, his his blunt honesty that, I mean, he's, like, unfailingly honest um, in most situations that you see in here, um, even when, I mean, it's it's causes issues. Like, he's just, he's completely steadfast in his honesty. Um, and also um, his time, his need for time to process things. I think there's been a few times in the drama where um, he has a situation that occurs and he asks for time to think about things and to evaluate things. And, you know, and like he'll get back to the person just because he can't come up with an answer straight away. He needs time to process and reflect on things. Mm -hmm. yeah. I also really noticed that um, there is like a female character who has a crush on him in the drama. And the first couple of times they meet, he's kind of confused over who she is and that she kind of like approached him and talked to him. And you can really see that in his face. And I thought that was really well done. How he's just kind of like, whoa, someone talked to me. Who is this person? And you can see him processing and trying to come up where where he knows her from. And you can see also in her face that she's kind of like uh, disheartened that he doesn't immediately know that they talked the day before or something like that. So I thought this was very, very um, noticeable. And I have quite a few, pe uh, few friends who kind of like have trouble recognizing faces and things like that. I think there's like a name for that too, but I can't, I can't um, uh, yes. remember now. Yes, there is. It's, I think it's <laughs> Yeah. It's it's the the colloquial term is face blindness, right? And yeah. I'm just going to add. Oh that yes, yes, I, yes. Mm -hmm. I actually I actually have this to some degree. Um, I have it where it's if I see people out of their context, then I usually don't recognize them. And I have it to such a degree that a couple of years ago, um, my next door neighbor ran into me in the local grocery store, and she started talking to me. 
And for the first 30 seconds, I mean, I just had to sit there and just stand there and nod and just nod and smile and nod and smile because I had no idea who she is. And she's my neighbor. <laughs> I just, yeah. wow. if, I see her, yeah. if I see her out of context, I mean, I, I don't know who she is. If she was standing like near her house, in front of her house, whatever, I'd recognize her. But because I saw her in a completely different place, I didn't mm. recognize immediately who she was. And this has happened so many times with, you know, like, the you know like the school officials my kids teachers whoever if I see them outside of school just in a regular setting I often don't recognize them at all and they'll come up to me and start talking to me and I just have to kind of fake my way through the conversation until context clues me in as to their identity so mm -hmm. and this is yeah. this is a real thing this is actually you know quite common with autistic people and yeah. it is um yeah, it's difficult to live with because it is because you just you feel so uncomfortable and you feel defeated sometimes that you really should know these people and you really should recognize them. And it's just so awkward because you don't want to be tripped up and, and shown that you don't recognize who they are. So, I mean, you know, this, I just do the smile and nod and just kind of wait for context. And that's all I can do. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, even like I don't have this, um, I don't think, but even if you don't have this, because autistic people often don't make a lot of eye contact. I sometimes, like when I go to like a gathering with loads of people, because I don't look at people's faces a lot, if I meet some of those people later on, I might not recognize them just because I literally didn't look at them during the, yeah. during the meeting. Um, so yeah, there's like, um, whether Sangu has this face blindness or not, um, it's totally understandable that he had difficulties recognizing this woman. <laughs> so it's called uh, prosopagnosia. Mm, okay. Mm, that is it. I would add as well that it, it comes in varying degrees. There's, I mean, different evaluations you can take for it. And, um, and I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it can be quite severe or it can be kind of, you know, like, you know, less problematic, but I mean, it's, yeah, it is an actual thing and it actually exists. So mm. yes. Interesting. Cause um, it became a bit of a mini K drama trope, I think at some point as well, um, a while back. Uh, so I've heard because I was watching My Hollow Love. I don't know if you guys have seen that drama. Yes, yes, oh, I love Short that. <laughs> yeah, so that uh, the female lead has has uh, face blindness, and um, yeah, I remember reading other reviews at the time, and they were like, "Oh, this trope again." Um, so there was like a a bit of a kind of through it, but um, My Hollow Love I think did really well. Okay, so going back to romantic era. Yeah, so I think for me, I think some of the sensory things. So one of the ones I share, one of the uh, aspects I share with him is a dislike of being touched and wanting to be warned beforehand. Like I don't, I don't like being touched by, especially by strangers. So I that uh, kind of sung to me. And then also Fran talked about the need for routine, but then also we saw the we saw the impact of that, right? Of those stressful circumstances where, you know, his his uh, shirt wasn't on right and then his drink didn't taste right and or it didn't, it wasn't his favorite drink. So he, it just all kind of messed with his routine and we saw the impact of what that did to him, which I thought was really mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And I would also say to, as well, we saw a little bit as well about um, his difficulties with social etiquette as well. And just, um, you know, the, the the bar scene that he had with the advisor where I mean he didn't respond I think in the way that the the advisor was expecting him to respond and he was expecting a very 
specific response from him and that, you know, he would be apologetic and he would, you know, be all, you know, um, kind of just, you know, differential and just be kind of trying to like, you know, like, you know, take the part of like, yes, the, you know, the advisor's right. Yes, I'll drink this drink. Yes, you know, absolutely. And um, he, you know, he wouldn't do that. He wasn't going to play this social game and he wasn't going to be this person. And so, I mean, there was, there was that issue. And then we saw later on that, you know, he'd taken out kind of these library books on kind of, it was almost like, you know, how to, how to make friends and influence people. <laughs> it was just kind of, <laughs> it's, you know, like the, like books trying to, trying to instruct him on, on social mm -hmm. relationships. And so, I mean, we saw that too, in that, you know, he's kind of, kind of at a loss and he's always researching, you know, kind of like, how do I, you know, how do I do this? How do I navigate these relationships? So mm -hmm. There was also the stuff that you researched with some YouTube videos when <laughs> they had to act this this piece in this uh, seminar. And he was kind of like, um, I think he was watching YouTube videos about how to like modulate his voice and how to kind of like make it sound better because uh, he got like critiqued by his uh, group work partner that he didn't sound right and that he was like uh, too, that his voice was too even throughout the whole thing. And I think this is like something that a lot of autistic people struggle with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. So shall we move on to Light on Me? What did you think about Wu Tang Kyung? Okay, so I, I want to start with this because I think we're having a reverse situation that we had with a suspicious partner, where while I do see that he's autistic, I was kind of like in group chat, I was kind of like, ah, did they like, apart from social awkwardness, did they like do anything for his autistic characterization? Because yeah. I didn't really like see all the different things. And I feel like Jay with Suspicious Partner was like similar at the beginning. She was like, really is no joke. But you know, like she, I convinced her. And um, with this, I think um, she, she told me a couple of things that I kind of like missed or didn't kind of like pick up on. Um, on the first watch and now I'm like yeah yeah okay I can see it so yeah um, we definitely have like a lot of social um, awkwardness and I think it gets pointed out in the first few episodes quite a lot by other people how he doesn't have friends and how he doesn't fit in and how he's very blunt and a teacher says to another teacher oh don't be offended he's like that to everyone you know it's not personal and stuff like that um, so it was kind of hard to miss that part <laughs> <laughs> The social aspect, I think, was was kind of big with this drama. Um, and Fran was asking me as well about, was there any sensory stuff going on? And I said, look, yeah, like there's, you know, the food aversions where he was kind of like, you know, certain food can't touch each other on his tray. Yeah. And the sensory seeking with the spicy food as well. There was like that scene. I don't know. I think it was like episode 13 or something where he's basically yeah, trying to late, eat like actually. Mm. Yeah, trying to eat like multi pots of like super spicy ramyun just because he said like it's a good endorphin kick and so he was like eating as much as possible. And um yeah, and so I mean there's that sensory aspect. We saw a little bit of issues with like possibly like proprioception and clumsiness which what that is is just um it's something that the autistic people can have which is issues of like knowing where their body is in space. And so, I mean, it's just kind of misjudging as you move through space, kind of like where you are and, you know, it's, I have this, it's, wow. <laughs> it means, it means for me personally, it means a lot of bruises on my arms and my toes because I catch my arms on every door handle, towel rail, um, skirting board, 
I mean, everything. And so, I mean, we see that in the first scene where he trips on his feet and we have that embarrassing encounter in episode one. Um, and he makes some comments as well that, you know, he really doesn't like PE and he's yeah. you know not athletic and he's, he can't, he can't handle PE and he's not good at it. Um, yeah. So there's, there's that aspect, aspect as well. I'm glad you brought that up, Jay, because the not lighting PE thing was something that, I mean, sometimes it's just that, you know, people in your life, you know, who are autistic and then they say the exact same thing. You're just like, yes, like, you know, makes you feel like <laughs> you, you see them, but also like, um, proprioception can also affect uh, it's like dyspraxia which is um a developmental disorder it's often a co-occurring condition as well mm. with, with um autism or people who are autistic uh, or adhd and it affects um movement and coordination but although i personally think that I, I kind of wanted a bit more so i think that there were some there but i thought it was all quite subtle and i thought actually if you're gonna have this as a character trait not just have it as a plot point you know, with the incident right at the start, yep. as you mentioned, but also just kind of throughout the drama a little bit. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I kind of like felt with the sensory seeking and the food. We had like, in all the 16 episodes, we had like two li little like situations where that came up and it was kind of, I mean, the first one where his food doesn't touch each other, that wasn't quite a plot device, but the spicy food kind of was. There were so many situations where they were eating, where they could have woven that in a bit more as like a continuous thing through the whole drama. And I feel like that they did that with few traits where they could have just like done a little bit more in the background to really drive the point home. Mm, I agree. And I think in this case, they kind of really wanted to focus on the social struggles he had and probably at the expense of, of putting in some of the sensory stuff and, and some of the coordination issues and everything, which, like you said, they seem to give a bit of lip service to instead of mm -hmm. like, and then, and they really focused on the social things, which, I mean, if we're looking kind of at his character, there's, there's a lot, right? I mean, you know, mm -hmm. we have the, the black and white thinking that he, that he displays like numerous times throughout where, you know, he talks about like, Dayon being like a good person versus a bad person. I mean, if you wanted to discuss this a bit, Fran, because I think you had some really good points on this. Yeah, I just uh, remember that he, a couple of times in the drama, reacted very harshly to something. Like we have at the beginning of the drama where Shinu, the vice president, is kind of like acting like really how do you say um he doesn't like him and he's acting like it and he's showing it and Taekyung asks him a few times why he's acting like that why do you don't like me why why do you don't want me here and she knew kind of like fails to answer and we find out later that it's literally just because he's embarrassed um, about that incident in episode one but um when he fails to give a reason for his dislike uh, Taekyung gets really angry and he's like you're a bad person because you know you do don't like me and you don't even have a reason for it and I felt his reaction was very very harsh and I felt like that was kind of like you know like this black and white thinking um mm. really came through there where he like just got really angry um at this and kind of like immediately put him into this corner that he's a bad person mm. yeah and he's, 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 we see as well, like through the drama, that he has difficulty with seeing the nuances in situations, right? And that, mm -hmm. um, you know, of others around them and kind of like why they, what their motivations are or why they might be reacting the way they're reacting or what is going on with them. And I mean, like, for example, then like after 
um, he and like Don are, are outed and he kind of doesn't understand why there's this distance now and why, you know, like he's being treated as he is. And like, it's, it's, it's really difficult for him to see this other perspective and kind of see like, you know, like this is also earth shattering to someone who, you know, like really relies on his reputation around the school as much as, as Don does any of that he's, you know, like his reputation is everything and that he's, you know, like his social status as well, like means so much to him and that all of a sudden, like there's this crisis going on and he's kind of pulled back and withdrawn and he's trying to take this time to reflect and kind of see like what, what he does next. But um, like take you and kind of can't understand why he's doing what he's doing and why his, why he's not, you know, like, make kind of like putting himself forward or you know helping him or supporting him through it as well or whatever i mean yeah i i rewatched those episodes like just today even and um just kind of that scene where the two of them are talking and he's kind of like you know were you thinking of me like why weren't you thinking of me like did you think of me at all and that just like really struck me as you know kind of like you know like really autistic thinking and you know it's just that there's all this other stuff that's going on but it's also just where was I with you you know what role was I playing in your thoughts so and I think like this also shows that he's got trouble with all the social conventions and attitudes and things like that I think he doesn't really to him what the school thinks of them and what people think of them being gay and being in a potential relationship or even just dating doesn't mean as much and doesn't mean the same thing as it does to Daon who obviously you know like it, it really troubles him and he really struggles with that. Yes absolutely it's almost interesting because it's like you know he's he's really sensitive to the new friends that he makes in council and he's kind of like really wanting to see what his value is in their eyes as, as well um but like for the rest of the school you know the rest of the school's attitudes and the other students and his the people in his grade or his classes or whatever he really it's it's like he really can't be bothered with their opinion he's like it doesn't matter you know it's mm -hmm. and so i mean yeah it's an interesting contrast as well Mm -hmm. And I really like that. That was like part for me. That was part of his autistic uh, characterization, like early on, when there's like a scene where some people in his um, I don't know if it's a seminar group or whatever uh, invite him to play some games, and he's like, "No, I don't want to. I want to study." And you know, you're disturbing everyone here. Just leave. And they are like, "Well, you know, if you don't ever come to these social gatherings, you're gonna end up with no friends." And he's like. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> because his priorities are like, you know, his priorities are not on making friends and pleasing others. His priorities are on studying and being true to what he wants. And um, that's just not something that you do or that's like accept an accepted thing to do to just say like, yeah, I don't care about you people. Uh, this is important to me. Just, uh, yeah, you know, leave. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, it's really interesting hearing your guys' views, actually, because I think mine were, between the two dramas, I, I personally felt like um, Semantic Error got the portrayal much more um, consistently through the drama, whereas I mm. found a little bit with Light on Me that we had it quite a lot at the start and they were actually almost quite heavy-handed with the, like, this guy's autistic kind of, you know, thing of pointing things out. I agree with that, though. Yeah, but towards mm -hmm. the back of the drama, I found that they kind of dropped a lot of that. And he almost yep. became, like, if you'd have only just come to that that part of the drama, you could also almost 
you know consider him neurotypical rather than autistic and like that mm. that annoyed me more I think because it felt like they'd made the autism part of a plot device to kind of create separation and create conflict and then when it suited them and they weren't as interested in it anymore they kind of dropped it um but then I also see that I think with some of the things that Jay's pointed out that happened you know in the later half of the drama that perhaps they were a bit more subtle with things that I had I'd missed so it was really mm. good that you um highlighted that and I mean maybe this is what you know like the I, I felt exactly the same as Sarah but maybe it's just because in semantic error maybe they used more of the stuff that is like stereotypically autistic like the especially like the routine thing right mm. I mean mm. they really 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 focused on that because they needed it for the plot obviously but maybe you know that's why it was like just so much more obviously autistic than maybe some of the more subtle things in Light on Me. Yeah I think for me it was a bit more subtle than that because I think I felt like the characterization of sang was was just a lot more consistent and a lot more, it felt to me more authentic. Whereas mm. Taekyung, I think it was a bit like, for example, the friend thing, like at the beginning, we are told that he finds it really difficult to make friends and that he doesn't really have any. And mm. whilst we see his struggle with that at the front end of the drama, at the back end of the drama, he's like the most popular kid in school, well, before the, you know, mm, yeah. other conflict happens. And, and we don't really see a journey in that. And we don't really see that it's difficult for him to keep and maintain friends as obviously as we see it so I think for me it was a bit it just it felt a bit um inconsistent and then therefore mm -hmm. a bit inauthentic but I do also think that uh, that it was a I preferred the drama from a romance point of view so I also think that the drama probably maybe dropped some of that uh characterization a little bit to focus more on the conflict of the love triangle which I think they did you know really well so you know it's a bit it's a bit of both I guess mm. I agree with that summary and I even agree with it being inconsistent and I see like you know it kind of the writing and the focus kind of shifted um so yeah and I absolutely agree with the portrayal and characterizations between the two dramas and I think that they did go a little bit more kind of um obvious and stereotypical for semantic error versus light on me which seemed to be like like you said, like inconsistent and so subtle at times that it seems to be fading out at some point, you know, mm -hmm. during you know the latter half of it. And it's only by like, like you said, if we're like really deep diving this and kind of looking through a magnifying glass at kind of, you know, the, the in-depth emotional relationship struggles that he's having that we could kind of say like, aha, he's still autistic, you know, like, look, he's like really not understanding any of the complexities that are going on. But if, you know, if we were just looking at it from a surface level, like, oh yeah, absolutely. I think what also didn't help in in quotation marks for light on me is that Shinu is so uh, introverted and so awkward himself. <laughs> so kind of like I felt like towards the end of the drama, the second half, where we get more of their interactions and we get a lot of Shinu just being awkward and like not being able, not knowing what to do and how to react and if to you know like if he should like do what he wants to do or if that's like you know overstepping boundaries with like touching or comforting Tick Young or whatever and I think that kind of like muddled the waters a bit mm. you know and I started thinking well maybe Tick Young is also just introverted or maybe Shinu is also autistic and obviously it isn't always clear cut in real life but right. um, you know <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're not far wrong on that point because I mean, when we were like doing the the Google searches to see what other people had, 
had written about these characters and posted about them there was actually some threads i saw where people were arguing that like shinu was autistic as well and while personally i don't think so because i think he is way too good a grasp of the social intricacies that are going on around him to be able to qualify for that um i mean he is definitely introverted like absolutely mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know um but i mean you know there were people that like did argue this point as well so i mean it it didn't help with the depiction like you said and it probably muddied the waters a bit if the, you had two characters that were really so much alike <laughs> Yeah, actually, <laughs> let's develop that a bit more. So how do you think the that um, the dramas depicted the autism impacting the relationships they had with their respective partners? They both kind of have a similar trope in that kind of introvert, friendless student on is the autistic character and one half of the partnership, but they've done it slightly differently. Do you want to talk a bit more about this and which partner do you think kind of made a good match or what, what made them a good fit or a good match with their their autistic partner yeah i think we have we, we we had like similar questions in other podcasts before where we talked about was the autism necessary for the story that developed and how did it kind of like um, impact on the relationships and stuff like that and i think that's always like a really easy answer but a really interesting question too because obviously for semantic error the whole first half of the drama feeds off jeong annoying Sungu by disrupting his routines and he buys out his favorite drink and he sits in his spot and things like that so obviously if Sungu wasn't autistic then that wouldn't have happened um, in the same way and the same with light on me we have I mean it is kind of like a sort of plot device in setting the scene that Taekyung doesn't have any friends and he gets inserted into the student council and he kind of like tries to make friends and obviously the whole story wouldn't happen if that wasn't the case but it's also for light on me I think what's really 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 important I mean you could you know always find other reasons why someone hasn't got any friends but I think it's really important to mention that his personality is kind of like what fuels the whole love triangle his honesty and his like directness and uh, the way he's true to himself it's kind of why the other two fall in love with him because they are both attracted to it because they both in some ways um, deny parts of themselves or keep them hidden and kind of like don't act accordingly and so they really really like about Taekyung that he you know, like it's just himself and says things and is so honest. So taking that this is part of him being autistic, if he wasn't autistic, you know, that whole attraction thing wouldn't have happened in that way. So we wouldn't have a story. So yeah, you couldn't you couldn't take that away and uh, be left with the same drama. Yes. Yeah. And it's also the, the catalyst to the developments the other two characters, Daon and uh, Shinu, are going through because they then work towards um, being more themselves and kind of like owning up to who they are and um, acting on it and um, all this kind of stuff. And I was just going to add as well that um, while we talked a little bit about kind of like the, the surface characteristics and like the autistic traits and stuff, I would just say that like while the writers did give them these kind of surface traits and the awkwardness and the quirks as kind of a plot device. Um, we also see the growth of the characters throughout the drama and that facilitates each one's resolution. So Taekyung learns that he has to be true to himself. And this is basically 
the thematic arc for all three of the main characters in that love triangle and that it's not up to him to try and love down enough to solve all of down's own inner turmoil and um yeah and sangu reevaluates his perspective about the barriers that he's put he puts up and his isolated life and his focus only on excelling and then he comes to understand that it's not serving him well any longer and that it's worth the risk to open himself up to emotions and to forging relationships Mm-mm. they both learn what the the positives are about uh, human relationships and about uh, you know like forming those relationships with other people what friends mean and why it's good to have them and things like that and why maybe going through the struggles of making friends even if it's awkward and difficult at first does have positive sides to it in the end and makes it worth it yeah yeah i agree and so was there a partnership that resonated for you guys a bit more Personally, for myself, I think uh, Shinwu and Taekyung for sure, just because I felt like you know, Shinwu having dealt with the rumors and ostracism back in middle school, he had that greater understanding of what it's like to deal with intolerance and judgment from the people around him. Um, and we kind of see in the drama, like his steady kindness and his compassion and his unfailing support, um, even when like Taekyung didn't know about it, like that scene where he gets his phone repaired and logs in and sees all the messages that have happened over you know a long time span that he didn't receive because his phone was broken and then he sees that he's kind of been you know checking in on him and you know asking if he's okay and cheering him on this whole time and he had no idea that that this was happening um i was just going to mention as well that there was a really good blog post done on bl express and we will give the link in the notes and um it was really reflective kind of on the three characters and about why it was kind of more important to look at the evolution of the characters and their personal journeys rather than just kind of the the ending of, you know, who got who in the love triangle. So, I mean, I thought it was like wonderfully written. And so I thought, just thought it was something that we should mention as well and provide the link for. Right. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, I mean, you know, like it's uh, love triangles always have the danger that they're kind of like pitting people against each other. And I totally agree with that article and um, what what we've talked about in the group chat that, you know, the drama did actually, which is kind of sad that it still happened in like um, with the fans that they were kind of like, you know, getting angry at and pitting people against each other because I felt the drama really did a good job at not doing that and kind of like showing all the signs in a different um all the different perspectives of everyone and kind of like being kind to all the all the characters and their development and what they had to go through and like showing all the nuances so it's kind of sad that that was lost on some people while watching um yeah but um as to my preference I, I I agree that I felt like Shinu was totally the better fit um I felt that Daon's and Taekyung's relationship was always like a bit unbalanced and maybe it would have been like different after kind of like Don started to accept himself and accept his uh, homosexuality and make his peace with it and come down from this like role of a school president school student president or whatever it was and um, you know like of his like caretaker role because I felt throughout most of the drama that's what he did he was the one to take care of Young, and he was making an effort to integrate him and making an effort to make sure he felt that he was a part of things and that he had friends and that people were being nice to him and tutoring him and things and I always felt like that 
kind of like made it imbalanced because there was like they never have had a role reversal Mm. um and maybe that's just me like reading stuff into this because this is always something that I struggle with in my own um life and something that kind of like triggers me like on like power imbalances like this but um I just often felt that he was just being kind to take young and like trying to actively do things rather than it coming very naturally and I felt that between Taekyo and Shinu, there was like more of an equal relationship that Shinu wasn't treating him in this careful way as if he could like break or as, as if one wrong word could kind of like upset him or something like that. He's there to support him when he is heartbroken, um, but it kind of like felt very genuine. So it was also like a caretaking relationship, but it, to me, it felt more like an equal relationship in the way he was doing it. And we've got the role reversal because Taekyung teases him when he's being a bit awkward, stuff like that. It just felt more equal and that their relationship was much more balanced and healthy um, in those things. I was just going to add that we see signs at the end that Daon's changed his approach and it's kind of like he's evolved as well. And you get the first glimmers at the end kind of when he's walking down the, the hallway in school and they're like, oh, I forgot my gym kit. Can I borrow yours? And he's like, sorry, don't have it. And oh, can I have the notes for whatever? Nope, don't have them either. Oh, can you take my shift after school? No, I'm busy. And yeah. so, I mean, he's he's learning to say no to people that, you know, he would have agreed before because he felt compelled because he wanted their approval. And, you know, it meant so much for his self-esteem to be able to have that. And now through this whole process, he's come and said like, you know, no, I can say no to people. It's fine. Like, this is what I can do. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, mean, I really yeah. liked his character growth. Definitely. Mm. I think for me, Shinwoo was probably my favorite character across both dramas. Mm. So I really fell for mm. him, fell for his, the actor that played him. Um, so I definitely preferred their kind of uh, relationship. Um, and then also, I think we're going to touch on this in the next question, or Fran is going to touch on this on the next question, that there is one central thing that kind of took me out of semantic error that kind of spoiled my enjoyment of the drama. So having kind of <laughs> foreshadowed that, let's actually ask the question. So what did you think the dramas did well in their portrayal of autistic coded queer characters? What did you find problematic? And on the other side of the scale, what were your favourite scenes in each of them? Mm, okay, good. Um, so um, we don't want to, you know, like leave uh, listeners waiting. <laughs> 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 there was like one central thing, and I think it bothers bothered all three of us a lot. Yes, the semantic error, and that was this whole. I mean, it was very central to the story. It was um, very central to the plot, but I don't think it ever really got discussed, and I don't think that maybe neurotypical people or like no let's let's not say that I don't think people who kind of like um are very deeply into this whole autism thing or have autistic friends can kind of understand what really happened and that's why I thought it would be really really important to talk about this year and it's the whole I don't even know if I can if we can call it teasing, but it's more like triggering the way Jeong disrupts Songu's routine at the beginning. Deliberately to disturb him, yeah. Yeah, deliberately. He goes out of his way to mess with his routines and with all of them, not just with one, with all of them. He sits in his place, he takes away his drinks, he, he does all of the things. I think to understand that, it's just really important to point out again that things like routine 
for autistic people and um, having certain things in place, having certain foods, having certain drinks, having the same things every day is a way to calm down anxiety and to reduce being overwhelmed in situations because you have less things you need to decide you have things that give you pleasure and all those things and to take that away increases all the decisions you have to make it increases how overwhelmed you feel with situations it's just so much more than just teasing to a neurotypical person and it's it can be so incredibly draining if that happens and i think anyone who's had anything to do with this before like or we like things like meltdowns and stuff like that happen because routines are upset so you know it can be quite a bad thing and we got to see some of the effects actually in this drama like at first we all thought like when we were watching it oh you know like he's not really bothered by it he kind of like tries to ignore it but there is a scene where um someone comments on how like unwell he looks and he actually gets a nosebleed and he's super super tired and things like that so it actually has like physical e effects on him and i think it can't be pointed out enough like how wrong this whole behavior is of jeong to like do all of this to him and i think the drama never actually discussed that absolutely and i'm glad you're bringing it up because I completely agree. And that was one thing about this drama that bothered me too. And like, and it was so much so that even, you know, the, the second half of it with kind of the, you know, the budding romance and the resolution and everything, it still kind of soured it a bit for me. Cause it was kind of like, how many episodes would it take to undo all this stuff at the beginning? But I don't know. I, I, ugh, it was just, it, yeah, it still bothered me. And it was hard for me to watch because I could relate to how much anxiety this would have been causing Sangwoo and how frustrated he would have been. And I mean, it wasn't just a harmless, amusing prank or a series of pranks. Like there was nothing harmless or funny about this all. And yeah, it would really impact an autistic person. Like I just observed that like I would have probably just stopped going to uni if it had been me and I was in that place. I would have just not attended classes anymore. Yeah, I absolutely agree with both of you. And that's precisely where I stopped liking the drama. So um, unlike the Nunas, I did not end up liking Semantic Error. And I pinpoint exactly to this point because it took me out of the drama. It made me think about stuff like in the outside world. And then I couldn't kind of get invested in these two because I just didn't. So I'll say I'm not autistic, but if somebody had seen, if I had seen somebody behaving that way to my loved ones, knowing the impact it would have had on them, knowing the reason why they had all of these effectively their coping mechanisms right to get them through their day and someone had noticed them all and taken them all away from them um and then I'm somehow supposed to get behind that person being their love interest I just couldn't do it like it just it bothered me just so much so I finished the drama because I'm I sometimes just want to get to the end of, of stuff and it was quite short to be fair but I was hate watching it by the end because I was just like, they shouldn't be together. <laughs> this guy shouldn't, deserve, he doesn't deserve him. And um, yeah, so I do know that I feel like different to a lot of the fandom. And obviously it's huge. This drama is huge. It became a, a movie as well because it was so, so big. Um, and I just feel like as a romance fan, Enemies to Lovers, which is what this trope is, Enemies to Lover has, uh, is, has never been one of my favourite tropes. And that's partly because it often has this kind of creation of conflict where um the other part other person does something deliberately to annoy but i think there's a difference between um where you have in heterosexual um cisgendered romances where 
the the conflict is created just by needling each other and then not necessarily doing something that is so essential to the other parts other person's well-being and i think some of the enemies to tropes when it gets a little bit too personal at the beginning to create that conflict also take me out of those romances and i think this is where this personally landed for me but i think like um i mean we saw a little bit in the drama that uh, sangu wasn't quite you know we have this incident in the bar where jayong saves the day and sangu is like thankful for that but he points out to jayong i still hate you for the things that you did at the beginning yeah. and maybe you know like that gets buried uh, among other stuff but I did like that he wasn't like immediately, okay, you did one nice thing to me, now I love you. Yeah, 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 that's true. So we did see it some more time go through it, but I I just, I don't want to give the impression that you have to be careful with autistic people. Like, I didn't dislike that they used this as a plot device. I just wanted to have a resolution to it. I wanted Jeong to apologize for it and to realize what he had done and that it had been more than just like a little bit of teasing and that especially to Sangu, it was like really upsetting and we didn't have that realization. We didn't yeah. have that being pointed out. And that's what annoyed me about the drama. Not that they did it because that's going to happen in real life. You know, you can't, I mean, you can try obviously to be mindful of everyone and you should be, and his behavior was wrong. You shouldn't do that to anyone autistic or not, but um, it is going to happen. But I just felt like there was like something missing to the story arc um, by not mm. discussing what that actually did to Songo. Yes, absolutely. And I was going to add as well that we mentioned, like, remember when we were discussing in It's Okay to Not Be Okay, that sometimes gender gets used in K-dramas as a pass for um, bad behavior or questionable behavior. And we had that reference to kind of, you know, the stalkerish behavior that we had for Ko Moon Young, the female lead. And that, you know, if a, a male lead is do, doing this kind of stalkerish behavior, that uh, we'd call it out like rightfully so and say like look like you know that's you know not okay to put in a drama and um i've seen a few bls now where there's some of this behavior that of the characters that just borders on harassment or creepy and i mean like i mean this is also like this whole directed revenge kind of thing as well it just it seems to be permitted because there's this idea that the couple's both guys so it's kind of like oh well it's okay that just struck me as well and it stayed with me that I think that if it'd been a heterosexual couple that this would have not flown as well and I mean it would have been completely different but he does point it out mm. Sang Sangu does say look this is stalking you know mm. what are you doing yeah no, it, it, I agree. It's pointed out and it's mentioned and everything. I mean, I know the three of us were so uncomfortable with this and yeah, it's still bothered. And I think this is the thing as well. The first time through that I watched Semantic Air, like when it first came out, I was watching it like as it was released. And I think it's like bothered me now upon subsequent rewatches than it did the first time. And I think the first time it was kind of like there was so much hype about it and so much hype about the stars and the quality of the production and the storyline and all this kind of stuff that it just, you know, this aspect of it, didn't bother me to the same extent as it does now mm. and you know now that we're like really looking at it and saying like no like this this is really problematic and so yeah I, I still like the drama though I want to point this out because I'm not I'm <laughs> well I'm I'm firmly in the corner of having problematic stuff in dramas but then talking about it and resolving it and although this drama maybe didn't do that in like a perfect way I'm not 
I'm not a fan of just like not having stuff like that in dramas. Mm. So, you know, like rather than just like not having problematic behavior of characters, I'd much rather have it in there, but people talk about it because, right. you know, like only that will be an educational experience for the viewers. Right. But I guess that's like a huge topic and we don't have to get into that yeah. now. And it, <laughs> it gives us something to talk about too, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll just, I'll finish up too with this about, I liked how for both of the characters that this coming to terms with being queer was like really a non-event. Yeah. And it was not like some kind of earth shaking entire crisis of being where, you know, they were kind of like spending the entire drama, you know, realizing, oh my God, you know, I'm not straight. What does this mean? But it was kind of secondary to the impact that their autistic traits were having on their lives and on their relationships instead. And um, it just, yeah, it really resonated with me. And it also seemed to jive with a lot of what I've read from published papers and from narratives shared online from um, other queer autistic people just about their experiences. I mean, I will say, I think BLs just generally have, have moved on from kind of gay panic being one of the whole driving forces of the narrative and stuff. So I thought, I think it's good that we're moving on from that. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was one, one more thing, and I don't know if um, anyone else felt like that. I kind of had trouble with light on me because I couldn't really connect on like a personal level with Taekyung. Mm. And I've been like wrecking my brain for the reasons why that was. And if that, and it might just be like a personal thing. I mean, some characters just don't, uh, don't connect with us. But um, I felt a little bit, which I thought was interesting. Um, at the beginning of the drama, I felt a little bit like I was an NT person watching an ND character. And I felt like that with um, Extraordinary Attorney Wu in some of the episodes too. Like I was like an outsider watching the main character. And I think I, I, I just really want to watch a drama at some point that's actually told from the perspective of the autistic person. And I think what the difference is, and I, I hope this makes sense to people, but for me, I'm just assuming that the writer is a neurotypical person and they're showing yeah. the main character from the view of a neurotypical person. So it is the main character who's the slightly strange one. But obviously yeah. for autistic people, we don't feel like we're strange. No. <laughs> for us. Everyone else is strange. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, but the, the strangeness and the, like, the whole like double empathy problem and all of that, it comes like that the problem is not that people are strange it's that the communication is different and it comes the conflicts or the strangeness or the weirdness or like the feeling of those things only comes from the interaction of um two people with each other that have these different communication and thinking styles and things like that and um it only comes when they can't bridge that gap so to speak so I just really, I don't know, I just really want to see a character that kind of like, I don't know, is where, where the story is kind of like told from the ND character and not, you know, from, from an NT person's viewpoint, if that makes sense. It does. And I remember when you wrote this in chat, because I had a similar feeling to you in that it was this kind of ephemeral feeling of like, I don't doesn't really speak to me this character doesn't really speak to me I'm not really that invested and sometimes that's my problem with love triangles that sometimes the person that is the subject of the love triangle 
isn't that special. So I spend my whole time going like, why do two people like this guy? Because I'm like, <laughs> you know, or this person rather, because I had the same thing with Startup as well. I found like the Bay Susie character. If you guys watch Startup, so um, that's like a classic like K-drama love triangle, right? And I spent my whole time going like, Bay Susie's character is really not that special, guys. Like, you know, anyway, <laughs> I digress. But um, I think you're right, because I think another way to phrase it is basically, this is like almost like an NT... Uh, so a neurotypical person's idea of a neurodiverse character and so it probably felt inauthentic to you and like for me I think uh, mine's more probably linked with the whole surface autism like you're going to give him some autistic traits at the start but then you're going to kind of like not really show them in the latter half of the drama when you don't really need it for conflict reasons so that's um but I think it's um I think you're right uh to to make that comparison with extraordinary Tony Wu as well Mm. and I felt like you know like just to to give like a a positive example of this um it's okay to not be okay we also had an outside perspective for most of the drama but we also got like the inside perspective when we had those scenes where he had like sensory overwhelm and we kind of like got an idea of what it was like to be sancte in those situations yeah and I just I just I don't know um I just want to see more of that (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah like like it's it's great that we have these you know like main characters in these two dramas that are autistic but it didn't feel quite as much as a main lead to me as it would be for neurotypical characters in other K dramas. if that makes yeah, sense it does yeah what did you find as your favorite scenes from these dramas for semantic error for me, probably most of the ones in episode seven. Uh, everything from the kiss to the alley to Sungwoo trying to figure out if he wants to buy the entire Jaehyung package after the subscription trial ends. I just really liked um, some of the scenes where we saw the difference between ND and NT characters. Like the one of my favorite scenes was I think the one where Jaehyung says to Sungwoo, "Oh, you're like a computer," and you know, it kind of like sounds a bit offensive at first, but then he says, oh, I'm learning how you process data. And I just thought that was so sweet that he realized, okay, he thinks a bit in a different way. He communicates in a different way, but I really like him and I want to learn, you know, what makes him tick. And I, you know, because I really like him and I thought that was really, really sweet. And the second scene, I don't know if you guys remember where they returned the costumes for that scene they played. And it's just so funny because Jeong basically borrowed the costumes without permission and Sungwoo is standing at the door, you know, checking that no one notices them putting them back. And it's just, it's just mumbling and saying, oh, this is so wrong. We shouldn't be here. And what if someone catches us? And <laughs> yeah. he's so flustered. And it's so funny because Jeong is like, oh, it's fine. You know, I just, you know, we just put it back and no one will know. The whole cinematography of the scene is beautiful, how they're then standing mm. in between like some shelves and they're almost kissing and it's really romantic. And then at the last second, Sungwoo kind of like chickens out and he's like, oh, I'm not ready for this. And in so many other dramas, the other person would be like, oh my God, they don't like me and what's happening? And they would get upset. But Jeong doesn't get upset. He kind of like recognizes, okay, maybe this is too fast or whatever. And he's being really kind about it. And they just go on with their evening. And I thought it was such a lovely scene, like the whole thing. I really like yeah. that one too. And like you said, just the lighting in it and just the whole the whole way it played out. It was beautiful. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Light on Me, I think besides the funny scene in episode one that started this whole thing off, it's probably just the antics in the student council room. Basically, so many scenes where, you know, you also have like Namgung doing like his comic relief bit and everything. But uh, I love the whole snail bride thing as well. Like the whole bit of like bringing in the lore and stuff. And it was like the joking about like, you know, oh dear, we've got like a snail bride now that's like living in the council room and like all that kind of stuff. It was, yeah, it was kind of cool. So mm, I think I really just liked all the scenes with Shinu. Like Sarah said, like I, I had mm. like also a huge crush on on him. He was so sweet. <laughs> I think I liked especially the scenes where Taekyung teases him and he gets all shy and flustered and um, the scene where Taekyung stays over at his house and they kind of like watch a movie and it's just like so lovely because we can see them like in a different setting than the high school setting because like I don't know I feel like 99% of the drama is just like in the council room. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's like... <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you know, it's just nice to see like they're like them like in a different setting and see them be relaxed and also see some of their personalities come through because most for most of the drama they're just like I said in high school and they're just like students and there's like you know like they don't necessarily talk about hobbies or interests or things like that. So I liked all the scenes where they do that. That's true. Yeah. I, I I like those too. I mean, I thought they did a really good job kind of developing the characters when they have the scenes like at his house and stuff. And they're talking about movies and, you know, cooking dinner and doing all this kind of stuff. So I really liked it. So thanks, Jay. Thanks, Fran, for your many views on this drama. I found it really, really interesting. And I hope listeners did too. It definitely fleshed out some of those more subtle parts of the drama for, for us. I'm going to end it by wanting to manifest a BL that's actually too neurodiverse characters falling for each other i would like to see that so let's um <laughs> let's hope there's more to come from the from the bl world on this and obviously if it does we will be here to cover our views on it okay so um as sarah mentioned in the previous part we are going to cover the untamed looking at long one g as an autistic coded character and this will be over two episodes, as there's a lot of love for this character. Um, I've invited some autistic fandom friends to join us for the second episode, so you don't have to listen to just me going on and on about him. And I thought it was really <laughs> important to get more autistic perspectives on him, as he's a beloved character, and he means a lot to so many people. Like, I mean, seriously, I'm part of the fandom, and just the amount of people who have written about him, who have discuss like what his character means to them about you know like how um he resonated for them how they made him look at their life a different way i mean he's yeah he he means a lot to a lot of people so it's not too late to start watching the untamed if you haven't seen it yet um there's 50 episodes but they you know they will go by quickly once you get going the only other thing i'm watching right now is season two of heaven officials blessing on crunchyroll for which my kid is really really happy that i coughed up for the subscription and she's watching all her anime favorites right now because um yeah it's ongoing and so instead of like just waiting like a friend of mine did so she could kind of get the free subscription and binge it all at once i'm actually like yeah paying so i can watch one 20 something minute episode per week but anyway um (laughs) (laughs) 
it's a Chinese Donghua, which is an animated series. It's based on a novel by the same author who wrote um, the novel version of The Untamed. Um, so if you're into fantasy, like Shanxia, all that kind of thing, it's definitely one to watch. They did film a live action of this, and it has Zhang uh, Linghei, who is in Love Between Fairy and Devil, and Zai Chowen, who is in Falling Into Your Smile. And it's on the shelf. It's never been released for reasons that would take way too long for me to explain here. But we all live in hope, you know, like a rumor will pop every two, pop up every two or three months that says it's getting released and we all cheer and then we post clown gifts and then we go back to our lives. <laughs> are they, are they BL related? Are they like, yes. What's the TLDR? Yeah. It's basically um, kind of, it's a, also like it's a Danmei novel, right? And so it is yeah. another BL with two main leads. And um, there's one character's a god, one character's a ghost, and it's um, basically kind of their journey through like 800 years of knowing each other. And um, uh... I, it is also a really beloved novel, and those characters as well are just um, there is the fandom is just wild. Um, it is amazing, and it is I think it's probably like my favorite of of all the novels. But um, yeah, I, we really. We're hoping that the live action would be released. And I mean, like I saw all the production photos and stills that were taken and kind of like the little sneak paparazzi photos where they'd go on set and take photos of the actors, you know, in costume. And they'd show them leaving their hotel every day and returning to their hotel every day. And we got so excited and we were kind of all cheering because this is finally it. And then, like I said, it's been shelved. Um, and I don't know if ever if it'll be released. So, oh, oh, so annoying. <laughs> Fran, what are you what are you watching? Um, well, as as everyone knows, because I can't shut up about it, I haven't been watching anything this whole summer because I'm kind of in a um watching things slump. But since I have been successful this past week uh, in watching both Light on Me and Semantic Error, I hope I'm back. And I watched one episode of um, A Good Day to Be a Dog. Ah, um, yes. Which I thought the premise was ridiculous, but everyone's been raving about it. And I watched the first episode and I thought it was really cute. So um, hopefully I'll continue with that. I obviously have to watch The Untamed for the next podcast. So I'll be doing that. I still haven't watched The Worst Evil, which I really want to do. And um, then in like, I don't know, two weeks or something like that, a new Ji Chang-ok drama is going to drop on my birthday, which is called Welcome to Someday, I think. And I'm yes. really looking forward to that. It looks, it looks like fun. it's exactly what I want from a K drama. So, <laughs> and the two <laughs> two leads are like both uh, amazing actors and actresses. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. Me too. Yeah. So the other lead is Shin Hai-sun, who's just been in See You in My Nineteenth Life. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching A Good Day to Be a Dog as well. It actually might work for you, Fran, because the release schedule is flipping ridiculous. I mean, you haven't watched it. You haven't watched it um dropping live so you can now catch up on a few episodes but they're only releasing one episode a week and then during the release schedule they had baseball so for two of the two weeks there was one episode every 14 days so basically this drama has just been like drip drip like i started it a while ago and we're still no only on episode uh seven i think um but it's it's kind of charming fluff, so it is it is fun. 
Alright, before we finish for today, for an upcoming podcast, we are planning to discuss problematic or maybe just not quite perfect portrayals of autism in Asian dramas. So if you can think of any examples, any dramas with autistic characters or autistic coded characters, even if you're not sure if the portrayal was good or not, we'd love to hear from you and then we'll discuss it in the podcast. Right, cool. So I think we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for everyone that's listening and has supported this little tiny baby pod. And I hope you've enjoyed our Afternoon at Ask ND episodes. Um, and again, do write to us if you've got any topics or things that you would like to see covered. We've really loved doing it and we hope to continue in 2024. Right, everyone. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our pod. Follow us on our Instagram at Afternoona Asks or our website www.afternoonaasks.com. Our network, Studio Afterglow, brings you more podcasts for your enjoyment. To get more K-drama content from a writer's lens and listen to your K-romance guides, check out Afternoona Delight. For any BTS fans out there, Afternoona Army is here for you with thinky, thirsty and over 30 takes of Army life. Or check out It's Bananas, the podcast where we build an appetite for juicy living with your host, Becky Onesta. She explores how tasting new and diverse fruits can lead to self-discovery, joy and connection. And if you want to hang with us and other K-drama fans, do consider joining us on Afternoon A Delight Patreon. There are different levels for you to access and it's a lot of fun. Go to www.afternoonadelightpodcast.com to sign up. Finally, if you have any questions for us, please feel free to contact us via our socials or our email, afternoonaasks at gmail.com. We really look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, see you soon.